Corbett, and today's podcast is all about language and geography and how they are intertwined. How I initially came onto this idea was when I read this book by the title of Tracks by a woman named Robin Davidson. Tracks is based on the true story of a woman who trekked across a huge part of the Australian desert. In this book, Robin Davidson often stayed at different Aboriginal settlements, which is a really unique thing to do in that the Aboriginal people have really been able to keep their lifestyle and many parts of their culture concealed from the rest of the world. One passage from this book particularly caught my attention. It was about the Aboriginal language Pitjantjara. In this passage, she wrote this. And all this linked up with the Aboriginal reality, their vision of the world as being something they could never be separate from, which showed in their language. In Pitjantjara, and I suspect all other Aboriginal languages, there is no word for exist. Everything in the universe is in constant interaction with everything else. You cannot say, this is a rock. You can only say, there sits, leans, stands, falls over, lies down, a rock. The self did not seem to be an entity living somewhere inside the skull, but a reaction between mind and stimulus. And when the stimulus was non-social, the self had a hard time defining its essence and realizing its dimensions. The self in a desert becomes more and more like the desert. It has to, to survive. It becomes limitless, with its roots more in the subconscious than the conscious. It gets stripped of non-meaningful habits and becomes more concerned with realities related to survival. But as is its nature, it desperately wants to assimilate and make sense of the information it receives, which in a desert is almost always going to be translated into the language of mysticism. I mean, when I read that, I was like, wow, my mind was absolutely blown by that. And this passage made me wonder, how does our landscape shape our language and culture? All around the world, language sounds different, but generally stays consistent in certain regions. For example, what I mean by this is that languages that originated from, say, Eastern Europe, tend to have similar sounds. The first sound clip you heard was someone speaking Polish and the second was someone speaking Russian. As you may have heard, the two languages sound strikingly similar. However, this isn't unique to Eastern Europe. In the Middle East, many of the dominant languages have similar cadences and sounds. There is a unique flow in how the language is pronounced and spoken. So, how does landscape affect language and culture? Back in 2013, National Geographic published an article titled, Does Geography Influence How Language Sounds? According to the article, it does. 
Two days prior to the publication of this National Geographic article, new data had just been released regarding the correlation between sounds and language and the altitude of their origin location. Dr. Caleb Everett, the researcher on this topic, talks about his findings. Let's take a listen. My name is Caleb Everett. I'm an associate professor of anthropology at the University of Miami College of Arts and Sciences. For this project, I investigated a possible correlation between a geographic feature, namely altitude, and a feature in the sound systems of the world's languages. And what we found was that uh, languages do vary in accordance with the altitude at which they're spoken, and that a particular kind of sound named ejectives is much more frequent at higher altitudes. Ejective sounds are found in about 18% of the world's languages, and they are um, unique in that they are made by compressing air in the pharyngeal cavity and releasing that air through um, a burst of sound. In other words, they're not made by releasing air from the lungs, as the vast majority of human sounds are. One very common kind of ejective sound is what's called a velar ejective. So I'll, I'll give you an example of that. It's the first sound in the following syllable, ka, ka. That sound is common, for instance, uh, in various regions in North America, South America, Africa, and in the Caucasus in Eurasia. That same syllable, ka, is the word for bitter in Kekchi Maya. Another example is the word to give in Lakota, which is cool. Ejective sounds are not found in English. The closest sound we have to this in English would be the K sound in ka. The broader implication of this work is that language is shaped in pretty fundamental ways by the geographic context in which it's spoken. Okay, I am going to make a complete fool of myself and try and make that ejective sound right now. Uh, uh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I have no idea if I'm doing that right, and most likely I am not. <laughs> but as a native English speaker, that's a pretty interesting sound, not only to hear, but also to try and recreate. Um, when I was making the sound, um, I kind of was pushing my head forward unintentionally, um, and I was also like clicking my tongue to the roof of my mouth. That new data is really cool. Specifically for me, I think about how that sound is produced with an intensive burst of air, um, and it is more common in higher altitudes. Is it easier to produce that sound at a higher altitude where the air is thinner? Um, and the National Geographic article actually states, quote, Everett speculated that ejectives are easier to produce at high altitudes because air pressure decreases with altitude, and it takes less effort to compress less dense air. Everett also stated that there is really only one high altitude region that does not have any ejectives, and that is the Tibetan Plateau. And there isn't really any explanation for this. Maybe it has to do with the humidity levels and how that affects the air, but that's just me guessing. Another super interesting thing that is stated in the National Geographic article is this. The essence of their claim is that people rely on vowels more than consonants in warm weather because people tend to be farther apart in warm weather because they're outside more and vowels are louder than consonants, Everett said. I don't endorse their hypothesis, but believe they were onto something. 
I'm thinking about this and I'm just trying to wrap my brain around it. Um, but when you think about it, vowels are totally louder than consonants. And I had never even thought about that before. Like when you scream, for example, you don't yell the B sound like boo or the D sound like duh. You yell the A sound. You're like, ah, it's the A vowel sound that makes it loud. And likewise, when you say burr, when you're cold, it's a sound made of consonants and it's not particularly loud. Then again, Everett was a little skeptical about this hypothesis, and I just googled which languages use the most vowels. They mostly consist of languages like Danish, Welsh, German, languages from cold places, so who knows. But what we do know at the very least is that geography and landscape do in fact influence language and sounds, which is a pretty amazing discovery. Corbett. Thanks for listening to this episode of my podcast where we talked about language and its connection to geography.